Welcome back, fake sports fans, to episode three of the Friday Funhouse podcast. Uh, I am your host and perpetually pajama-clad commissioner, AJ, and we're going to try to keep this episode neat and tidy for you uh, after the 100-minute marathon in the last episode. So hopefully you stuck it out in that episode, though, because the conversation with Isaiah over what it's like to call an athletic career quits was, in my opinion, uh, interesting and, and really insightful. Uh, this week, though, uh, we won't have a movie review for you, uh, because movie watching is for people who have time, and this week I was not one of those people. Uh, plus, I'm still feeling my way through this whole thing, and I'm wondering if a movie review just bloats this out too far, but we'll find a rhythm, though. Probably. Uh, so this pod is going to contain part two of our draft breakdown, and uh, we'll talk about teams seven through nine. I'll tell you why I'm the dumbest person in our league. And then, uh, since we weren't able to secure a guest this week, I'll talk about week two, some rule league uh, or some league rule reminders, and then we'll do a recap on past champions and just kind of uh, submit that for uh, league posterity. So yeah, let's uh, kick this off with some draft analysis, shall we? So I didn't solicit feedback on last week's data-heavy section, but if I had, I probably would have heard a collective groan and comments like, so long and boring. But I committed to a four-part series on breaking down all of the teams, so here we are in part two of the four-part series on our fantasy hockey draft. Uh, last week we broke down the bottom three teams in our draft based on overall point projection, and as you would expect, all three of those teams lost in week... Oh, wait, okay... Ashton actually found her way into the winner's circle with a 22-point win over Curtis's crazy team. I guess with two of the bottom three teams playing each other, not everybody could be a loser in Week 1, but it would have been extra hilarious if Curtis and Ashton tied. Still, last week's bottom three teams would have all finished in the very bottom of scoring if their party hadn't been crashed by an extremely unlikely visitor, Isaiah, who joined Curtis to form the only two teams who did not score 200 points in the extra long Week 1. Isaiah's further bad news for week two as Mackenzie Blackwood entered the COVID protocol, which is a lot like the concussion protocol in that it takes about a week or so to progress back to healthy in most cases. So our bottom three went one and two in week one, but we're actually here to talk about the next three teams who also went one and two in week one. Still, where the bottom three teams averaged 200 points uh, per team in week one, the next three teams are actually a very large step up, averaging 235 points. And one of these teams actually posted the second highest scoring output in the whole league in week one. So let's start at the bottom with Michael's team. Uh, Mike, our resident mystery man, sort of suffers from the same studs and duds issues that a lot of our lineups have. A handful of top dollar players, then a lot to fill in the gaps. Unfortunately, one of those gaps was a goalie where he spent $33 total on a trio of goalies who aren't exactly producing. The highlight of his goalie course, Darcy Kemper, uh, who has started five of the six games for the Arizona Coyotes. Unfortunately, the Yotes are one and four in his starts and undefeated in the games he doesn't start. It's only one game, but still, uh, Kemper isn't exactly uh, turning out to be a premier goalie. Um, and his one win and 14 goals allowed on the season aren't exactly digits that are going to win the lottery. Still, Michael only paid $27 for him, so... Of course, that means that he only spent $6 on his last two goalies, uh, Linus Olmark and Thatcher Demko. Uh, by rating and price, Demko was supposed to be the stronger of these two players, coming in with a $5 price tag and a 177th preseason ranking. But he's off to a disastrous start. Uh, already in a platoon situation with Braden Holtby, Demko's 0-3 to start the season, allowing 16 goals across those three starts. 
Vancouver is only two and five on the season, so it's not like Holtby's running away from the competition. But Thatcher's four point six points and the Canucks' crap record to start the season shouldn't make Michael hopeful for a bounce back. More concerning than Demko's performance specifically has been Vancouver's defense, which is allowing thirty six point four shots per goal or po- shots on goal per game. Uh, which is last in the NHL. Uh, Considering that they're posting seven fewer shots per game than their opponents, I wouldn't expect a whole lot of wins for Demko this year. That last dollar spent on goalies, though, went towards the preseason 311th ranked player in Linus Olmark, who's 1-2 in a trio of one-goal games. Uh, Olmark has catapulted past Demko in the rankings as Thatcher fell all the way to 712th, and Olmark has improved to 234th. Uh, Linus has started three of six of Buffalo's games, and the team's 1-2 when he's not in the crease as well. So it's tough to say how things are going to shake out in Buffalo, as the other half of the platoon, Carter Hutton, is posting very similar stats, with only a tenth of a goal separating them and their goals against average. Uh, Before we shift to Olmark's teammate and the crown jewel of Michael's roster, let's talk keepers real quick. Uh, I feel like I did a much better job with Michael's keepers than Ashton's. Uh, Jacob had him rated uh, fourth overall in money saved with keepers, and the three keepers that I assigned him are his top three scorers and the backbone of the forward group that I have rated number one in our league. And it starts with Olmark's teammate and villain of our blog, Jack Eichel. Uh, Cobra Kai's Eichel is goalless in Buffalo's first six contests, but he's posted seven assists, which is good for nearly six fantasy points per game. At $69 against the Yahoo projected value of 208 Eichel was an absolute steal. Uh, then you consider that his average uh, actual draft cost was $228, and yeah, if Michael does play again next year, I'm sure he'll keep Eichel all over again. Uh, steal number two is Miko Rantanen. Uh, the Colorado winger has five goals and two assists on the young season and is leading Michael's team in scoring. Uh, Yahoo projected Miko's value to $184 pre-draft, meaning that the $52 keeper cost was just great for Michael. Uh, Rantanen is currently fifth in our league in scoring. And then rounding out his keeper list is uh, Mark Stone. Nabbed at a quarter of the projected cost and pitching in two goals and six assists so far this season, So really, Michael was in a very advantageous position uh, heading into the draft, but it went a little sideways from there. Uh, After his top three, only three other skaters scored more than 10 points in the long week one, uh, Brady Kachuk and Thomas Hurdle. Uh, Hurdle was a late-round snag and is off to a hot start with three goals and four assists for San Jose, uh, averaging a little over three fantasy points per game. Kachuk, on the other hand, is suppressed by nine penalty minutes, but he still has two goals and two assists in Ottawa's first five games. A notable bright spot for Mike, though, has been Devin Taves, um, the preseason ranked 273rd defenseman who is on an absolute tear in Colorado and has added two goals and two assists to 15 block shots to post 20.2 points on this uh, young season. But other than that, uh, notable names like Seth Jones and Alexander Barkov are off to slow starts. Really, though, it goes back to goaltending, and his goalie group was outscored by 23 points and a 27-point loss to the Kopitards. Uh, Michael's next shot to get in the win column is against Ashton this week, Uh, but I expect Ashton to win as I'm pretty sure Mike is uh, not actually a real person and is just Ashton's second team. Uh, Next on our breakdown of the bottom six is the outlier in the group and the league's second leading scorer at this time, Ashley. Uh, Ashley posted a stout 250.6 points in in the first week, uh, second only behind the JT Millers and their 269 point output. Uh, Ashley, whose keepers were chosen with the tried-and-true method of whoever you tell me to keep, uh, were a major boost to her roster and a major mistake by me. Let me explain. So I had Nathan McKinnon sitting on my roster at the end of last season. Uh, Last year's number two overall scorer had a hefty keeper price, though, at $222. 
I was already keeping last year's number one scorer, uh, Leon Dreisaitl, for $220. I couldn't really afford to keep them both. Uh, I also had super cheap steal of a goalie, Jacob Markstrom. Ashley had super cheap and good goalie, Robin Lehner, who, for some dumb reason, I thought was an upgrade over Markstrom. So, our pre-draft rules were that any players exchanged before the draft must be kept by their new teams. I didn't think I'd find a better deal in so short a period of time, um, you know, when I was trying to offload McKinnon. And then, ultimately, I, I just really fucked myself over here. I, I was the only person negotiating, I was the only person paying attention, and I managed to flip last year's number two skater and number seven goalie for last year's number 14 goalie, who is being outperformed in a platoon by Marc-Andre Fleury. What in the actual fuck was I thinking? So, naturally, Markstrom puts up the 5th best score in the league uh, with 22.2 points in Week 1, uh, while McKinnon puts up the 10th best at 26.2 uh, for skaters. Um, her third keeper, Artemi Panarin, only put up 12.7 points, so I feel a little better about that. But if Ashton and Michael's auto-draft sucks, um, Ashley's was on fire. Um, she picked up Ryan Nugent-Hopkins, who scored 24.6 points so far, uh, Kyler Yamamoto, who's put up 23.9 points, Kevin Hayes, 23.2 points, and Travis Konany, uh, who's put up 24.3 points. They've all had great weeks in Week 1. So while Ashley led most of Week 1, uh, she was projected to lose her matchup with Melissa as late as Sunday morning, but... Somehow she held on and is currently in third place overall with the second best scoring output in the league. According to my position rankings, Ashley is supposed to be weak at defense, and she was outscored at the blue line by 22.4 points against Melissa. Particularly low offense from Dougie Hamilton, Alex Edler, Matt Roy, and Dan Arlov were exacerbated by their 13 penalty minutes that they contributed as well. The only beacon of hope at defense for Ashley is Jared Spurgeon, but even he only posted 10 points um, on the strength of a single assist and 10 block shots. So I really have no idea what to make of Ashley's team, honestly. Of the top 25 skaters so far this season, she owns a league best five, which is pretty incredible. But only two of those five were rated in the preseason top 25. So maybe in shorter weeks, her weaknesses at defense will start to show, or maybe all these people whose names I barely recognize will revert back to playing like people I don't recognize. Or maybe they'll all have breakout seasons, and she really makes me pay for my stupidity. I really don't know. What's really hitting me right now, though, is that I ran keepers for five different teams, and the results varied greatly. I think I'm getting a regret headache. But since we're talking about teams that I ran keepers for, we might as well make it three in a row and talk about the last team in that particular group, and this group, the Cellar Dwellers, uh, ran by the Young Dave. Um, if my keepers for Ashton were unforgivable and the work that I did on Ashley's roster was criminal, I at least set Dave up for a decent start. Uh, I really didn't have a strategy in terms of positions for Dave either, but I was targeting the best value. Preseason's 25th ranked player, Evgeny Malkin, was kept for $107 against the $144 estimated value. That actually wasn't such a great deal, considering Malkin is underperforming with a goal and two assists in Pittsburgh's seven, uh, first seven games. But from there, it gets a little ridiculous. Uh, current number eight ranked scorer, Mitch Marner, was kept for $55, uh, saving $117 against Yahoo's estimated cap value, which is just a, a mega steal. Uh, Marner broke out in his third professional season in Toronto, putting up 94 points with 26 goals and 68 assists in the 2018-19 season. He was on pace for another 90-plus points in 2019-2020 until, you know, COVID. 
but Marner went super cheap last season. Uh, $55 keeper price is incredible. And against Yahoo's estimated value of $172, uh, Dave got a top 10 skater for about 32% of the cost. But then it gets even better. Uh, say hi to Max uh, Pacioretty. Uh, the Vegas winger, winger was sitting out there with a league minimum keeper cost of $10. Uh, with an estimated keeper cost of $88, Dave paid about 11% uh, for the league's current number 13 score. Considering Dave admitted that he didn't know anything about hockey, um, he was off to a hot start before Autodraft got a hold of him. But, you know, with Autodraft, uh, results may bear- vary. Uh, for Dave, it looks like it was a major hit. Uh, his goalies may be platooning, but Marc-Andre Fleury and Brian Elliott are both both posting goals against averages less than two, with uh, Fleury clocking in at one goal per game flat. Uh, sure, uh, unlucky with Antirana hitting the uh, IR in Arizona and Jake Allen not playing so great in Montreal, but Fleury's performing well enough to potentially escape the platoon. I mean, I could see a scenario where he becomes the number one starter in Vegas, and Elliott is likely to keep seeing you know his normal starts. But look past the goalie situation, and Dave also ends up with the current 16th best skater in Brad Marchand, top 50 player in Johnny Goudreau, and the 17th and 7th best defenseman in Justin Hall and Alec Martinez. Uh, the crown jewel of the, jewel of the draft, though, and, you know, auto draft coming through for Dave Hard, Connor McDavid. Uh, crazy. So Dave lost his week one matchup uh, to three-time league champion Jacob by less than one point, a game he could have won with slightly better goalie optimization uh, when he left Jake Allen seven points on the bench on a night when Ronta and Flurry both didn't start. So just that one swap out, and he would have knocked off Jacob in week one. Dave's 228 points was also seventh best in the league in week one, and very far cry from the bottom feeders who, who failed or barely broke the 200-point va- uh, barrier. Of course, Dave's unfamiliarity with Yahoo's nuances, like his entire roster getting benched on Wednesday uh, when he made a free agent pickup, um, you know, it could cause him some problems. Additionally, he's burning through his remaining cap space at a very rapid pace, uh, with five ads in the short season, uh, bringing his cap space all the way down to five measly dollars. Uh, humorously, I wonder if Jacob would re-offer his trade to David uh, that he previously proposed. Uh, Jacob offered John Gibson, who at the time had five points and was 0-2 on the season, with a 3.5 goals against average, for Mitch Marner, who had a goal and two assists in uh, two games. Uh, Marner's continue to produce, so Dave can't be upset that he kept him, but Gibson has absolutely gone off. Um, Jacob would have been sending $41 of cap space to uh, Dave as well, which would have been just a major boon to Dave's season. But let's just hope that Dave doesn't listen to this podcast because uh, he asked me about that trade and I advised against it. I said it wasn't a good idea. But who would have known that nine days later, John Gibson would be the number one goalie in our league and would have propelled Dave to an easy victory in week one while adding the cap space that he really needs uh, in the long term. So, whoops. Which, I guess whoops is a great way to uh, to describe a lot of my involvement in the draft, um, which is why I'm excited to be done with the bottom six, uh, where I picked keepers for four out of the six teams, uh, and we're ready to move into the upper half, where everyone managed their own rosters, like like adults. Thank you. Appreciate that. But those rankings are not for today. So uh, join us next time to find out who the teams four through six are in our draft rankings, and uh, we'll give you a few more results with some of the players in there as well. Um, So let's take a quick break, and then we'll jump into our next segment. (music) 
So it's Monday now, and uh, final scores for week two are in. So it seems like a great time to do a lap around the league. Uh, lap around the league is actually brought to you by my elliptical in the basement, which is 90% harder than the elliptical at the gym for some stupid reason. So instead of a smooth cardio experience, I uh, legitimately feel like I'm running laps at the track. Uh, so far in a draft review, we've, we've talked about the bottom teams in our league based on draft results, and wouldn't you know it, they're also the bottom teams in our league based on record after two weeks, with uh, two absolutely insane exceptions. Uh, the first exception is Ashley's team, who's 1-1 one one on the season, but with the third best scoring output to date. Uh, Ashley took a nail-biter in week one with a five-point victory over Melissa's team, while on her way to posting the second most points that week. Uh, week two was far less kind to Ashley, though, as she took on the 0-1-1 Cellar Dwellers. Uh, Dave's Cellar Dwellers, which is a fantastic fantasy league name that predates our league by at least 10 years, uh, rode the back of a young stud, Connor McDavid, uh, who posted four goals and eight assists for 31.5 points in that week. Uh, that's damn near all you need to know about this, as neither Dave nor Ashley had another player score 20 points on the week. Um, if you're counting wins above replacement for players... Uh, make sure McDavid gets a full win added to his stat this season for Week 2 alone. Uh, speaking of those 31.5 points, though, this is a great opportunity to take a small detour and uh, once again talk shit about how Jacob undervalues players in the draft. Uh, Jacob didn't provide any data specifically on Connor McDavid this year, as uh, he wasn't a keeper. But he did have Leon Dreisaitl, uh, last year's number one scorer in our league, valued at $206. So we can estimate that it's right in that area. Yahoo's pre-draft rankings, though, had McDavid valued at $232, but the real draft results had Connor securing contracts worth, on average, $269. The Cellar Dwellers nabbed him for $221 total, which, at the very least, is a great value. But that just kind of brings me to my point. Uh, Jacob likes to use standard deviations to determine player value, um, and while this isn't exactly a Z-score, what I'm about to tell you can kind of be used in the same way. Uh, only one player in our league has actually scored over 60 points so far this season, and that's Connor McDavid. Only one other player has scored over 50 points so far this season, and that's Leon Dreisaitl. Then you have three players who have scored at least 40 points, 26 players who have scored at least 30, and then 103 skaters who have scored 20 points or more. You want one of those top two guys, right? And if you want them, you're going to have to pay a premium. Hell, if you want a player that's posted over 40 points on the season so far, you're looking at five possible skaters in a 12-team league. Elite scoring is rare, and if you want it, you're going to have to pay the price. Uh, Dave, or rather Autodraft, paid that price and then forced Ashley to pay dearly in Week 2 with the second best scoring output in the league. Uh, the other exception is just as mind-blowing, though, as Ashton has jumped out to a 2-0 start to the season, hanging on as one of three undefeated teams. In Week 1, she beat up on Curtis's weak roster. Then in Week 2, the No Regretskis posted the fourth-best score of the week to best Michael's team. Which, again, doesn't really surprise me, since I'm pretty sure Michael's team is just Ashton's minor league roster, and she would never allow him to beat her. Uh, Ashton's lineup, though, was led by Brock Bozer and Austin Matthews, who posted 19.2 and 15.5 points, respectively. Um, an early-in-the-week trade also bolstered her crease, um, as she got a solid 10.8 points from Junis Corposolo, who posted a 31-save victory over Chicago. On the other hand, the Regretskis haven't really beaten anybody yet, and her 323 points on the season are good for ninth in the league. Uh, on the other hand... Um, 2-0 and 3rd place overall, so suck it, I guess. 
Uh, this week she faces off against the other Dave and the JT Millers for what should be a stronger test. Of course, if there are two bottom feeders that have broken into the top six, then there have to be two top teams that have plummeted. Uh, first and probably most annoyingly is Jess, and I only say annoying because she reads and listens, and she likes it when I talk about her team. But she's not going to like this quite as much. Uh, Jess is one of the three teams who are scoring fewer points than Ashton on the season. And in week two, she was absolutely blasted by the full Kopitards, who damn near doubled up her 75 points. Uh, David Prone put up 15.5 points for Been There, Done That. But her next top score in week two, goalies included, only put up 7.2 points. Five players posted two points or less on her roster, including a negative 3.2 points from goalie Matt Murray. The Kopitards, on the other hand, had a monster week in Week 2, uh, posting a league-high point output, led by the aforementioned Leon Dreisaitl and his 27.7 points from three goals and nine assists. And nine assists seems like an awful lot of assists for one week of play. Uh, The scoring output and victory have catapulted uh, full Kopitard into first place overall, while Jess slid all the way back to ninth. Our other early season disappointment is having even less fun, though, as Isaiah has fallen all the way back to 11th place and is one of two teams to not score at least 300 points so far on the season. The former champion faced off against Melissa in Week 2 and was beat down by nearly 40 points as hockey team had two defensemen who posted 12 and 13 points, but no one else could break into double figures. So what happened? Well, he did keep setting his lineup, which means Isaiah is still alive, which is good. But his team is damn near dead as Sean Couturier is out for a couple of weeks on IR. And uh, he has three other players who are on COVID protocol. And then even worse, goalie Peter Mrazek is dealing with an upper body issue, which is a major bummer after he posted an 11.4 point shutout in Carolina's first game. It's never good when you check a player update and it says the injury is more serious than the team had initially hoped. Uh, Hurricanes coach Brenda Moore said that it looks like Mr. A to Z is going to need surgery after busting up his blocker hands, so... Rough luck there. Isaiah still has two platoon goalies in Sergei Bravovsky and Igor Shesterkin playing decently, but with Blackwood and now Mrazic on IR, he has to be frustrated. Isaiah's outlook doesn't get much better in Week 3 when he faces off against the number one team in the league. Me. Um, And then, you know, I'll talk about Melissa's team when someone proves to me that she's aware that I write a column or do a podcast. But, you know, just know that she looks like a decent team and she has the league's number one goaltender after Week 2. So, who's left to talk about? Oh, uh, the worst and the best. Well, second best. Uh, We'll start at the top of the Antarctic Division, where Jacob's nameless team remains the last undefeated squad after taking down David's JT Millers in Week 2. Jacob's 106-point output in Week 2 would have only taken down four other teams in the league, and lucky he was playing one of them. Uh, Jacob's team is really highlighted by a strong goaltending, as John Gibson and Andre Vasilevsky rank second and eighth respectively in our young season, and both posted 10-plus points in Week 2. Jacob does seem a lot weaker outside of the crease, though, as only Roman Josie mustered uh, up the courage to score more than 10 points amongst his skaters. Jacob's definitely hoping to get a little more help down the road as he stashed Tyler Sagan on his IR, and he does have some other names on his roster that should produce better than they did in Week 2. The JT Millers, on the other hand, have the same and opposite problems as Jacob, which is just kind of a shitty way to say that his goalies and skaters all sucked in Week 2. David's goalies were outscored by 20 points exactly, and his skaters posted near-identical numbers to Jacob. With the defenseman John Carlson leading the way in double digits, joined only by Nikolaj Ehlers, who scored 11.1 points. Despite having 23 more points on the season than Jacob, 
David falls to sixth place in the league with the loss. And finally, uh, we have this week's Turd Bowl, where Curtis's crazy team faced off against Eduardo's gaggle of goalies. I guess gaggle isn't really fair to Eduardo, as he seems to have trimmed his goalie position down to a neat and orderly uh, four tenders, who posted 19.6 points for him in Week 2. Add to that strong performances for Nick Backstrom, Braden Shen, and Zdeno Chara, uh, who I mistakenly called a zombie earlier, and Eduardo's squad put up a respectable 118 points, which was 5th best in the league for Week 2. Add to that the shutout that his daughter Bianca posted in her league, and Eduardo is having a pretty good week. Which kind of sucks, because that still leaves him in last place in the Antarctic Division, and in 8th place overall. It's so weird how the divisions are actually stacking up at the moment. I, I honestly thought that I had put uh, the Arctic um, with the best teams to start the season. I identified good teams this season as being Jacob, Isaiah, Jess, David, and myself, and I put three of those teams in the Arctic Division. Uh, those three teams, though, are combined 3-3, three and three, with two of those teams posting bottom three scoring output. Uh, then there were the probably not good teams in Michael, Dave Young, and Ashley, and two of those three teams are in the Antarctic. But they're both 1-1 one and one and in the top five of scoring. I honestly thought at this point that the Arctic would be the more brutal of the two divisions, but right now it's not the case. The Antarctic would field four of the six playoff teams, and honestly it'll probably be five as soon as Ashton loses a game, since every team in the Antarctic has more points than the no Regretskis. It's kind of insane. I guess I should talk about Curtis's last place team here. Uh, they posted a nearly worse score of 78.4 points in Week 2, but escaped that shame thanks to Jess's 75-point crap fest. Curtis has 7 of those 106 players in our league who have scored at least 20 points so far, but nothing better. Uh, still, Frederick Anderson is a bright spot, as he's currently ninth in goalie scoring. Uh, Curtis is off to a very rough 0-2 start on the year, though, posting 26.5 points fewer than the next closest team and losing his first two games by a combined score of 62.1 points, which is a big ouch. Um, a couple of final points in our uh, AJ's Elliptical Presents The League Lap segment. Uh, first is a reminder on rules. You know, if you pick a player up, you've got to pay him. Uh, what rhymes with puck will never endorse the slavery of another human being, even if that human is a fake digital analog of a real person who's actually rich. So when you add a player without paying him, I will go back and deduct from your free agent cap space. And then once you hit zero on that number, I will prevent your team from adding and dropping players. And then finally, just a really quick recap on our league history. Um, I went back and checked everyone's profiles. Um, to build a league timeline, I just really bothering me that we didn't have an idea of who won what year. And I wanted to make sure that for posterity, we, we had these things documented. So really, it all starts in 2013-14, uh, when the level 33 Charizards, um, little play on Zdeno Chara there, managed by David Johnson, won a six-team league. Um, six teams is pretty embarrassing, but... A win is a win, I suppose. In 2014-15, the Bash Bros, managed by Isaiah, won a 10-team league. Isaiah has fallen quite far since then, uh, placing in the bottom two uh, last year, and then again finding himself there this year as well. After that, Jacob uh, won three straight years, from 2015-16, to 2016-17, and 2017-18, to with the Brain Eaters, Let Them Eat Cake, and then Dynasty. All three of those leagues were 12-team leagues, so that's pretty legit. And then finally, um, with an asterisk, I suppose, I won our 10-team league last year with the Jaeger Bombs, uh, paying one last tribute to blog favorite Yarmir Yager. So, 
yeah, uh, that is it for the legal app, which is a good thing because I need to leave. All right, so that does it for this week's podcast. Uh, sorry we're a little late. Uh, I was trying to get a guest on, but I can't afford a producer. So arranging for people to be on the podcast is actually a little bit of a pain in the ass. And, you know, if you're suffering from some COVID anxiety like me, you just don't want to pester people. You don't feel good about it. So uh, maybe maybe I'll find somebody to arrange that for me, and maybe I'll get a little more brave and persistent in future episodes. Uh, hopefully next week we have some f- more fun content for you, though. Um, I'm always afraid it's less interesting when it's just me spouting numbers and shit at you uh, instead of having someone on who is, like, handsome or funny or engaging. Um, you know, three things that I'm definitely not. So really, um, this episode probably should have turned into a blog, right? But it's it's definitely too late for that. So no regrets, keys, right? I hope to come back next week, though, uh, when we might have a guest or two, and uh, we'll talk about some stuff other than fake sports. But that is it for now. Uh, good luck in week three uh, for all of you. I, I can't lie to you about your chances, but you have my sympathies. <laughs> <laughs>